Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I've got to have the, anybody else been using a lot of these this week? It's uh, kind of that time of year where it's 10 below in the morning and then 85 by, by the afternoon. <clears throat> All right. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can turn over there to John chapter 4. We're going to get all of our points. All right, in 1985, 1985, there was this uh, splendor of cinematic excellence that was released. Seeing it for the first time, and until this day, it is one of my favorite movies, Back to the Future. Back to the Future, not only did it have a fantastic soundtrack, but uh, the plot was fun and original, and it proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you put a nuclear reactor in a DeLorean and you drive it 88 miles an hour, you can travel through time. Amen. Thank you. That's the only amen I'm going to get from him all day long. <laughs> Uh, the central character, Marty, goes back 30 years. He meets his mom, his dad. Along the way, he invents skateboarding and rock and roll, tinkers with the past just a little bit, and it affects his future. Wouldn't it be nice if all it took was a flux capacitor and a stainless steel car to go back and change some of our messes? Avoid some of the, the hurts that, that we have had in life. Help our parents be cool when, when you come back. But uh, unfortunately, there's no such thing as a time machine yet. So, we don't get to go back. We don't get to miss hurt that we've experienced. We don't get to change some decisions that were probably wrong. But that's not the end of the story, thankfully. It doesn't take 1.2 gigawatts to change our lives, but it does take some boldness. It does take some being honest with ourselves, and it does take some letting go of some past behaviors, some mindsets, and even some trauma. We've been in a series called Christian Atheist. I believe in God, but I don't always live like I do. And this morning, we're finishing up our series with I Believe in God, but I Can't Let Go of the Past. So, I believe there are four things that, that God wants us to let go. Four places in our past, four kinds of hurts that God wants us to let go. And I want us to, to look at those this morning. So, did you find John chapter 4? All right, so Jesus is leaving Judea, and he is going to Galilee. If you look at a map, if anybody has a, a Bible that has the maps in the back, you will see that, that Judea is in the, the south, and Galilee is in the north, and stuck right in the middle is Samaria. So that's what they're talking about when it starts here in verse 4. It said, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob was there 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Please give me a drink of water.'" Now, let me give you just a little bit of uh, the history between the Jews and the Samaritans. In case you've never heard this or didn't know about this, the Jews did not think very highly of the Samaritans. In the Old Testament, when the, uh, the, the Israelites stopped following after God and they got out from under their covenant with God, the enemy came and actually captured the land, and took all of the wealthy people, the skilled laborers, the priests, took them out of Israel and took them to to other places and repopulated them there. The people that they left were the poorest of the poor, and that's who became the Samaritans. The Samaritans also, while they were there, they intermarried with other tribes So the uh, Jews didn't consider them fully Jewish. They actually looked down on them as racially inferior. Um, Since all of the priests had been taken into captivity, the Samaritans instituted their own uh, priesthood. They built their own altar. So the Jews looked looked down on them as religiously inferior. And now Jesus is talking to a woman that in this day in time just made her inferior. It's just the way that it was. So I believe when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it wasn't just saying, oh, to get to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. I believe there's something deeper there. I believe Jesus had to go to Samaria. I believe he had to go through Samaria. He had to have this encounter with this woman because he was going there to destroy some mindsets. He was going there to pull down some lies that had been lifted up. So in verse 6 it says, Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired From the long walk sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. And then in verse 9, it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So here's the first thing that I believe that the Lord wants us to let go. Here's the first hurt that the Lord wants to help us work through, and it's our past generational hurts. Prejudice is a generational curse. Prejudice is a generational curse. It is passed down. From family to family. When Lisa and I first got married and we were living in Georgia, uh, we lived in this this quadruplex and it was in an older neighborhood. And uh, we were up on the the top 
And there was one day that, uh, I don't know where Lisa was, but I was home by myself. I had the window open, and I heard this commotion. I could hear somebody yelling. And I walked over to the window, and I, I looked down to see what was going on. And across the street from where we lived, there was a, a, a little boy. He couldn't have been but about five or six years old. And he was yelling, and he was pointing, and he was using all these racial terrible things he was saying just as an older black man was walking by his house. And I sat there and I saw that. That older gentleman just had his head down. He didn't say anything. He's walking by and this kid is just yelling all kinds of things at him. And I saw the curse. The curse in that little boy's life. He didn't learn that. You don't learn that by five years old. That had been patterned. He had seen it in his family. But what I also saw was the shame on that older man because that was not the first time he had ever endured something like that. You just saw it as he kept his head down and he just kept going. Hate's always going to thrive in society. We're lectured all the time about how inclusive we need to be, but society is not inclusive. The only thing that is inclusive in this world is the blood of Jesus. The only thing that's going to break down the hatred in our world is the blood of Jesus. And Jesus knew as he was talking to this woman, he was attacking this racial spirit head on. He was going to go right for it. We've got to have the same boldness. We're not going to put up with it. We're going to go right after it. We're going to speak life into it. You may say that, well, I didn't grow up like that. You know, that might not be your your generational hurt. Racism may not be your generational hurt. You know, I grew up in a family. I don't know what's in my, my, uh, my past. My tree has probably got some, some, you know, broken branches back there some way in my family tree. So I don't really know what's all back there, but I know that any type of, of, of racial thing ended with, with my parents because they just wouldn't put up with it. Well, that doesn't mean that, that I didn't have a, a, a generational hurt because in my family, on my father's side, the men were angry. My grandfather was an angry man. And my father was an angry man. And even though I vowed that I would never be that, I became an angry man. So we've all got things in our past, in our generational past, that the enemy wants to pass down to us. He wants it to take hold of our lives. He wants it to consume our lives. But we can be free from that. My oldest daughter, Elise, I don't know if she's in here or not. Uh, 
Nope. Okay. My oldest daughter, Elise, she told me one time, she said, if I didn't have other proofs that proved to me that God was real, she said, I would know that God was real because I watched you go from such an angry man to such a loving man. We don't have to put up with the generational hurts. We don't have to carry on with those generational hurts. God wants to heal us from those things. And when Jesus began to speak to this woman, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was speaking into that generational hurt that had been going on for hundreds of years with her people. All right, moving on. Verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? So here's the second thing that the Lord wants us to let go of. It's our past experiential hurts. Jesus told her truth, but she immediately began to question it. Why? Because she had been lied to before. She had been lied to before, and we've been lied to. And she had been lied to so many times that, that she had become cynical. In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, it says that 91% of those surveyed lie routinely about trivial matters, about important matters, lie to parents, lie to friends, lie to siblings, lie to spouses. Lying has become so much a part of our culture that we don't even think about it sometimes. But because we've been lied to so much, we've become cynical. When somebody says something, when somebody says, oh, I love you, yeah, I'm sure you do. And we've not just been lied to by society, we've been lied to in churches. We've been lied to by church people. We've been lied to and rejected by pastors. The place that we should be finding help, the place we should be finding truth, is placed quite often where we find hurt. And East Texas is littered with spiritual corpses of those who have been chewed up and spit out by church and ministry. But guess what? We serve a God that raises the dead. And I'm going to tell you, it's the DNA of this house. It is the DNA of this house to see people resurrected, to see hope resurrected, to see life resurrected, to see giftings resurrected. I've told Pastor Sam this, this many times. He saved my life. Because he loved me when I was not lovable. He put up with me when nobody else would have me. And he helped me believe again. He helped me trust again. He helped me minister again. I was like the woman at the well. I didn't trust. 
but he showed me Jesus. That's why I say it's in the DNA of this house. It's in the DNA of this house to show the love of Jesus in such a way that people can be healed from those experiential hurts where people in churches have hurt us. Now to verse 13. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. So here's the third one. God wants us to let go and be healed of our past emotional hurts. This well was a place of shame for her. We know that, that in society at that time in villages like this, that the, the, the women of the village, the first thing they did in the morning is that they would go down and they would draw water for their families. And the, the, the village well was a place of community. It was a place where, where the women got together and talked and, and shared news and gossip and things that women do. But she's showing up at noon. And what that says to me is she wasn't welcome first thing in the morning. Nobody wanted her there at first thing in the morning. So after everybody else had drawn water, after everybody else in the village had gotten their water, much later than that, she started her walk. She started her trip down to the well. And I believe that every morning, every day that she went, it was a walk of shame. She's going by herself. There's no community there waiting on her. There's nobody waiting there to tell her about what's going on in, 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 the, in the village. She had to walk by all of these people by herself going to this well. And they may have pointed at her. They may have laughed at her. There may have been some little kid like the, the kid in Georgia that was pointing at her and, and yelling things at her. I don't know what was going on. All I know is that she made that trip by herself. The shame that goes with that. So she didn't hear Jesus say eternal life. What she heard was, fix it so I don't have to come here anymore. Because every time I come here, I have to be reminded of who I am. Every time I come here, I, I'm reminded of the shame that I go through on a daily basis. She said, give me that water so I don't have to come here again. So I don't have to come here again. Just fix it so I don't have to live with the shame anymore. What hurt from our past still stirs that kind of emotion in us. As if it almost happened yesterday. There are things that, that scar us so deeply, even though it may have happened years before. When we think about it, those emotions are still stirred up inside of us. And God wants to heal us from that place. We may have been judged, accused, 
rejected by family. My third daughter, I know she's in here because I can see her. She's not my youngest daughter. She's just the last one to join the family. I call her my found daughter. She had a rough earlier part of her life because of uh, drug and alcohol abuse. There was some uh, physical abuse in her home. So she left her home. It was just her and her mom, but because there were some things going on, she left home at an, at an early age. She had herself legally emancipated at about 15 or 16 years old. And she moved around from, from house to house fi- trying to find a place to stay. The family that she was living with when she was a senior in high school, when she graduated, the gift they gave her was, we need you to move out. And that's about the time that she came into to our lives. And she moved in with us because she had met my youngest daughter, Hannah. And Hannah came home and said, Dad, she doesn't have any place else to go. It wasn't the first time I'd heard that. We always seemed to have an extra person. Sometimes they'd stay for a day. Sometimes they'd stay for a week. But when Michaela came in, it was different. I knew she was going to be there a while. She just didn't know it yet. For the first several months that she lived with us, she didn't unpack her suitcase. Because she, she was waiting on us to ask her to leave. Because that's what had happened to her in the past. She had been with us about a year, and she and Hannah worked at the, at the same place. And um, uh, let's just put it this way. They weren't being lights, but they were getting lit. <laughs> and it all came to a head. And we had to sit them down. And something happened that had never happened before. She got disciplined. She was expecting to be kicked out of the house. And when we set her and and Hannah down, we just like, okay, you're going to quit the job. You're grounded. We're doing this. We're doing this. And she looked and she said, you're not going to kick me out? Why would we kick you out? God brought you into the family. I'm not kicking Hannah out. And she has said that it was in that moment, that's the first time she really felt like she was a part of the family. That was the first time that those emotional wounds began to to heal up. And she's walked through a a lot of things with the Lord. And God has brought so much healing in her life that she was able to reconnect with her birth mom. And that was fantastic. But the Lord took it an even further step. She now lives with her birth mom. That's healing. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to bring that that healing to us, not being bottled up with all those emotional hurts. All right, verse 16. 
Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Here's the fourth thing. God wants us to let go so we can be healed of the, our past relational hurts. Jesus was not pointing out her sin. If you think you have the gift of pointing out people's sin, don't operate it in here. Okay? Jesus was not pointing out her sin. He was showing her that he knew her deepest hurts. She'd been used by men and just put out with the trash. So much so that she just shacked up with any guy that came along this last time. She'd been so used and so abused, so forgotten, so overlooked, that just anybody that would have her, she took it. But Jesus saw beyond what everybody else saw. Jesus saw beyond what everybody else saw, and he saw her true identity. And he does the same with us. He sees our true identity. He sees who he created us to be. Not what society tries to label us as. And that's what he saw in her life. And this is where it gets really, really good. Verse 25. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. <laughs> Jesus had addressed the hurt from generational racism, the hurts that she had experienced that robbed her ability to trust, the hurt of shame and judgment from those around her, and lastly, the hurt from relationships that could have never given her self-worth. That was her past. Everything she was when she walked up to that well, everything that she was when she took that walk of shame for the last time, that noon on that day, everything that she was changed in a moment because she met Jesus. Verse 28 says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back into the village. Understand the symbolism of this. That well and that jar of water represented everything, all of her past hurts. It represented everything to her, everything that she thought she was. Every label that had been put on her was represented in that. And the moment she met Jesus, she left it. She left the symbol of all of her hurts and all of her disappointments. Going on in Let's read verse 28 again. The woman left the water jar beside the well and ran back into the village telling everyone, come and see a man who has told me everything I ever did. What a wonderful way to start witnessing to people. <laughs> Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. 
Once again, visualize this picture. She had been bound and hurt, and she goes from that, and she has an encounter with Jesus, and immediately she's an evangelist. Immediately. Nothing wrong with seminary, but she didn't have to go. She immediately stepped in to who God had called her to be, who he had created her to be. The people that she couldn't even look in the eye when she walked out to that well. The people who had judged her, shunned her, used her. Suddenly she couldn't keep the good news from them. Let me just throw this in here because I want to. Jesus showed his high regard for women by bringing the message to her first. All throughout Scripture, women are shown and used as leaders. And at NCC, we're going to honor. We're going to honor the calling of women as well as men. All right. The Orthodox Church, in Orthodox Church tradition, the woman at the well had a name. Her name was Fotina. And she went on to be a great leader in the early church. She went on to continue to be the evangelist that God had called her to be. She won many people to Christ. There are miracles that happened when she prayed for people. And she was martyred by the Emperor Nero. He threw her into a well. What a fitting end. She met Jesus at a well, and she got to go be with Jesus at a well. I don't think she shied away from it at all. Sometimes we've got to go back to go forward. We've got to love and trust enough to let go of our past and embrace the freedom that only comes through healing. You know what? Hollywood does not write the best happy endings. God does. What I want you to know We've all experienced hurt in our lives. The only way to be free from the past is to let go and let the healing start. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel the hope of living water manifested in the love of Jesus freeing you from the hurts of the past. And what do I want you to do? I want you to leave your water pot. I want you to leave behind everything that symbolizes your past, your hurts, and embrace healing this morning.